Welcome back to Coaching Kernan. I'm Dave D'Agostino. I'm joined here by my co-host, America's Most Beloved Sports Writer, Kevin Kernan. Also with Will George, professional scout, longtime baseball man, and our performance expert, Sal Marinello. We're on episode 54 of Coaching Kernan. This is our panel of resident experts. So tomorrow we'll have our real voices of the game, Mike Berger on with Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, guys, welcome back to the show. Hope we have a uh, we have a nice nice week set up with guests. And as you saw our guest log, we're pretty pretty backed up with guests through November right now. A lot of people want to be on. Fantastic. Great to be here, guys. Yeah. Good to be here. Glad people are listening. Yeah. yeah. We always throw the, the the first ball to you here. Kind of see what's caught your eye this week. Another two great articles. I feel like it's a recording, but they keep getting better and better. Uh, in between those articles, what's caught your eye in baseball this week? Well, actually, I want to go to football first because, you know, I like the show to be organic. I don't like to pre-plan. I just wanted guys talking sports and um, but with knowledge. And I thought Deion Sanders had a great video out there about his team with he was so pissed off at the, the phone usage of his players and basically said, uh, if you get on your phones, you're going to take trailways back home, you know, so. When are we going to, when are these coaches, and I know technology is in the game, but one of these, in baseball, one of these managers are going to put their foot down because the game's getting uh, worse overall. It's been saved by some individual players this year. Cool Hall's doing his thing. Uh, obviously, Judge. But these are different generation players, not this, the generation, uh, of, of current generation players they're okay, but they still don't have that team thing down. And I want to point to something directly, uh, and I'll let you guys go with it. But the, the Mets called up Francisco Alvarez, which I thought was a strange, strange call up at that time of year. Uh, I don't get it. I think, and, and Will can address this, uh, and Sal, but I think you, you bring in a, a young kid, 20 years old, Unless he gets lightning in a bottle right away, that that's not good for the veterans, the other guys, even if they're struggling. I mean, uh, that that that's I've been in a million clubhouses, and that's the kind of thing that gets you going. Like, what? What are we talking about? So anyway, Alvarez gets up, strikes out on three pitches. You know, it's too much to ask for the kid. He runs right into the dugout, runs right past Francisco Lindor, who I know he did this on purpose. Had nobody on either the left or right of him at this moment, so. Big opening for Alvarez to come in there and just talk baseball with Lindor. And um, he runs right to the iPad. He struck out on three pitches. What do you need to see the iPad for? You know, relax, play your game. And But that's where technology is destroying the game from within. And kudos. I know Deion Sanders. You know, I, I covered him a little bit uh, through the years. And uh, I'm, I'm glad he spoke up. We need more people speaking up about this, and it, it, it really drove me uh, it drove me crazy. So uh, that that's my initial lead off of what I what I got to say. Well, go ahead. Yeah, it you know I, I saw a lot of the same thing. You know, the Mets scuffled that whole series down there in Atlanta, ended up getting swept by the Braves and going from first place to second place, and uh, you know. All during the series, you know, there was a lot of, you know, camera views going into the dugout and guys don't watch the game. The, the, the iPad has become a crutch. And um, I don't know what you're going to find on the iPad in the moment of the game. And it's, you know, not a good thing. And, you know, I, I agree, Kevin, you know, bring up a 20-year-old who does have a chance to be a really good hitter. 
um, but throwing him into the pennant race against the Braves pitching staff, which I can assure you he didn't see anything close to that all year in double-A and triple-A um, watching the games. Um, those are just a recipe for failure, but also a recipe for guys like Darren Ruff, who's been struggling to say, you're not good enough. We acquired you at the deadline, but you know, you're not going to get any at-bats because now – Alvarez is going to get him against left-handed pitching. And also, um, well, just a baseball point, but I, I don't think Alvarez can be on the postseason roster, right? Because he was called up. No, no exactly. Because well, was, you're going to have to go back to rough at some point anyway. So that's a real panic move. Yeah, that one doesn't make any sense to me at all. And um, I was shocked that, that he was, you know, in the lineup, I, I guess, as the DH against Freed on Friday night um, in the first game that they lost in the series. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, w- you know, we do a lot of things as an industry that don't make any sense to me. Um, and um, maybe, maybe they will. Maybe they brought him up because he's fat enough and he fits in with all the other heavy players they have these days. Yeah, I, you know, the, uh, the Rodney Dangerfield, if you want to look slim, hang out with fatter people, maybe, uh, you know, they brought him up to make some of their other guys not look as heavy. <laughs> I, was, I was disappointed with his physique. I know he's a young man. He's only 20, 21 years old. But I also, I think I text you guys during the, the broadcast of the game, I have not paid a lot of attention to Vogelback this year. And when he stepped up to the plate, I was uncomfortable physically yeah. watching him maneuver he got a base hit through the right side but still it was um i don't we've gone down this rabbit hole before in terms of body type so i want to ask about alvarez what if any at all what would be the rationale bringing him up this late yeah i i i I don't get it i you know and and that is an an issue for him as a young player you know i think he's going to have to uh, watch his weight i've watched it over the last two years it it seems to have fluctuated up and down he looked uh Looked like he was in better shape when I saw him earlier in the season. Um, you know, these players aren't out on the field working hard through the hot summer months, which always kept players' weight down. And, you know, if you're sitting in the clubhouse and hitting in an air-conditioned cage every day, um, you're not out on the field doing the work that guys used to do. Uh, uh, and that's not a good thing, um, you know. You know, Vogelbach is 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 a professional hitter, um, but you would you know you would hope at a certain point you know he's still a relatively young man that if he took a little better care of his body that you know he might be able to extend his career a little bit longer. Um, but you know he needs you know you know needs to be, needs to address that at some point. Well, hard, I want to sound something, but I want to throw this out there before we move on because it's a good point. You're playing in Atlanta too. It's pretty warm this time, still this time of year, and I think, I think that caught up to all their their uh, their three pitchers as well a little bit. Scherzer, Degrom, and uh, and Bassett. Bassett was worn out by Travis Darno's at bat. And while I'm at it too, one other quick point: I don't usually rip TV crews because it's not an easy job. I get it, but I, I just can't stand that crew what they're doing on Sunday night because they never they're never critical. Everything is the greatest thing. Everything's a number. Everything's if I if you had a drinking game where you took a shot every time they said exit velocity, you'd be hammered by the second inning. So, <laughs> you know, it's uh, uh, how could they not question Alvarez being up here? I mean, and I, and I have all the respect in the world from a 
uh, uh, knowing of the game point to, to uh, David Cohn. But I, if I'm if I'm Carl Ravitch, instead of being Carl Ravitch and telling me what I already see and saying it over again, I go I ask David Cohn, David, if you're pitching and you get a 20 year old kid up in a crucial series in your ballpark, you got to be licking your chops, right? And but they don't set each other up. Everybody in the MLB network now is all about PR for the MLB instead of calling it like it right. is. Right. They're, you know, they're trying to market uh, young players. He's a highly rated in their pipeline or whatever they call their, their, their fantasy evaluations. You know, some of them they get right. Some of them I question day after day when I see where guys are ranked. Um, but I, you know, it, it is what it is. You know, it's, it's, it, it, it's become a marketability uh, game as opposed to a quality team baseball game that we used to watch. You know, we used to love the big red machine and the uh, and the teams that were teams, you know, the Yankees in the 90s and the early 2000s that won a bunch of World Series. It wasn't just about the individuals. It was about a great baseball team that you loved and respected watching whether, you know, you loved them if you were a Yankees fan, but you respected them working for other organizations going, wow, that's a really good baseball team. You know, but the, the on-field stuff worked, to Kevin's point, too, to kind of connect them, worked well with the booth because when I'm watching a game now, I, I don't mind saying it, I turn the audio off. I don't even listen to it anymore. You're not alone. You're not alone. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't need somebody to tell me what I'm seeing. I yeah, love yeah. – I know we did some cross sports today. I'm a big fan of Hubie Brown. I like Hubie Brown because he tells me why. He, right. he, I need him to tell me what's going on. I've got eyes. He tells me why, and that's the little stuff I need. But right now in the game, there's not a lot of why going on. It's a lot of one-trick ponies no. doing things. Um, but that's the big question I think kids got to demand, not just of the games they're watching now, instead of trying to be entertained, whether you're at the ballpark looking to go to the jumpy machine to get you know get ribs, although we do like to eat at the game. Start asking questions as to why things are happening. You know, yeah, whether- I mean, there's, you know, there's a wealth of knowledge, you know, for the last, you know, locally where I've lived, you know, I've had guys like Jim Palmer on and I would tell young kids, watch the Orioles game and listen to Jim Palmer talk about pitching, watch the Phillies game and listen to John Crook talk about hitting and Larry Anderson talk about pitching. So the, 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 uh, you know, Ron Darling and Keith Hernandez still talk and teach the game to anyone that wants to listen every night when they do their broadcast. I think um, Paul O'Neill's not bad. I, you know, he yeah, he, yeah. They they kind of cut him off, but he uh, he does a nice job. With, he said something simple the other day. They had the shift on. I think it was uh, the, the Kyle Higashioka, the catcher, the backup catcher. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was kind of half swing one in the hole where the second baseman was. He got himself a base hit. Looked like a line drive in the book. And I think O'Neill said something simple like, "Yeah, it's not that hard." Well, um, actually, Dave, I put that in my column this week, and I I I, I, I had that. Okay. Uh, I actually quoted him, and that's exactly what he said. Two strikes, you know, just punch it through, chop it through. It's not that hard. But they've been telling us now for 10 years, you know, five years, whatever the length of these stupid shifts, how hard it is. It's not that hard. Stop. (coughs) You're major league players. And that's the problem with the game. And that's why I still go back to NFL games because in the NFL, things happen, and and Sal can address this as well, but – these guys are still making plays. They're making plays, and that's what it's all about. It if you if they have to 
if they have to run the ball, they run the ball. They they look for the advantage. So that's the way way you should do it. And uh, I don't know where MLB thinks they're they're gaining on uh, with with the general public the way they're announcing their games. But but be critical of players who need to be critical about. You know they're they're both still team sports, and uh, unfortunately, baseball is marketing itself as an individual sport. Um, and there's not enough team concept and there's not enough team fundamentals that you watch that are being done the right way. And, um, you know, you know, and that's why, you know, and I think we're going to talk a little bit about the playoffs. There's so many inconsistencies that teams aren't great teams anymore because they, they have a lot of flaws and red flags that you look at. Yeah. I want to get to that too, right now with the playoffs, but one, one more point on the, uh, the Gashioka a hit. My, I was, I was angry at two things. One, that they think it's that hard to do, and two, with two strikes on the batter, why in the heck did they have a shift on? With knowing right. the two strike hitting, the guy's going to let the ball travel a little deeper, going to try to push the ball the other way in regular baseball. I was appalled at both, on many levels, which made the answer that because they don't know what they're doing, and they do it in yeah, three o'clock in the afternoon, and and. And again, you and I are watching the game. That's Kyle Agashios. Okay, you know what? What he, he, he you're lucky if he even gets a hit. So why no, does that no. give him an advantage? They may have been still playing him in a shift um, because he's hitting 200 and he still over swings almost every swing. And that might have just been a freak of nature that he was tardy through the zone and hit a ground ball where they weren't. Yeah, it was kind of a hat. It was kind of an excuse me swing a little bit, yeah. but. Um... Let's move to the playoffs uh, right now. Uh, Will, I know we, we were talking a little bit before the show. I mean, you're seeing a, a lot of teams make it now, so it's not like the old days when it was just a couple teams digging it out. What, what kind of what are you seeing with the overall playoff uh, involvement, the teams that are in it? You know, you, you can make a case that teams, you know, could go deep, but there's always a lot of caveats of if. You know, you look at the Phillies, you know, you have, uh, you know, Wheeler and Nola at the top of the rotation. That could be a really tough series for someone. And then you have Harper and Schwarber and Castellanos in a, in a lineup and uh, Hoskins who can do some damage and uh, Bohm and guys like that. So, you know, you, you have a team like that, but there's always a lot of ifs that come with it because these teams have been so inconsistent when you watch them over the long haul, you know, you don't have, you, you don't go into these things and feel good about going, you know, this team is certainly going to dominate this other team, you know, like, uh, you know, we talked a little bit uh, b- beforehand about, you know, the Mets top three went in and got swept in Atlanta. Um, and everybody in baseball would have thought that that top three kind of could have given them a chance. Yeah, I think every, a lot of people were saying that could be the best top three going into the playoffs. Yeah. Um, what other what other teams do you see in issues that, that come along with them riding in? I, you know, I think they all have their hickeys. You know, they, 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 they strike out too much. Um, you know, teams don't put the ball in play uh, well. Um, they play – average to mediocre defense. They don't have a deep bullpen. They have guys that come in out of the bullpen with good arms, but don't throw enough strikes. 
Um, there's some teams that are nicked up with injuries because they've overused their bullpens all year long. Um, and you have a lot of guys overthrowing, uh, teams strike out too much. They hit, they pop out too much. Uh, there's just a lot of, uh, you know, a a lot of inconsistencies, you know, Toronto, you can watch them play a series and you go, wow, they got a chance to go really deep. And then, you know, uh, you know, they'll go back home and lose three out of four to Anaheim and you go, Oh my gosh. So. Yeah. They, they turn it on and turn it off at the wrong times. So I was looking at the Yankees. You may you, you're, you're our best bet to kind of dive into this um, with your background. Yankees brought up some young guys earlier on. I think Cabrera got about probably 170 at bats. Uh, they got a good sample size of him and I think he's done really well, but guys like Ben Attendi and Carpenter were key players. They've been hurt during the stretch run. How do you how do you decide if that guy's ready? What kind of preparation do you need to see? You know, we're four games to go in the season, and the playoffs are right around the corner. What would your what would your approach be to kind of getting those guys ready or seeing if they are ready? Well, I guess it depends on the type of injury they have. Lower body injury, right? You can't do a heck of a lot of uh, of conditioning and work around things that are going to get you uh, in or keep you close to game shape. I don't think you could ever be in game shape unless you're playing at the speed that you need to to play at. So, you know, it's it's a tough it's a tough uh it's a tough uh thing to do to fit guys into that little window when you're trying to get them back at this at this highest level. You know, it, it happens you see that um you know, it's amazing to me that it happens in football as much as it does where you hear about these guys not getting any practice all week or not getting any contact or barely getting any reps and they step in and play a play on a, on a, on a weekend, a Sunday, uh, Saturday, Sunday night, or Monday night. It's crazy. So, you know, it, it depends on the type of injury, you know, again, if, uh, certain things you could do, you could, sw- you could bat, but you can't run certain things you could do. You can run, but you can't throw. So it, it, it depends on really what kind of an injury. From a baseball standpoint, I mean, Will or Kevin, you have guys like Ben Attendee and Carpenter, they were key players before they went down and the Yankees were really doing well. Now you got a young guy like Cabrera, um, psychologically and, and baseball wise, how do you, how do you, uh, work that in? I'll let Will handle that. Chris, he, he saw a lot of Cabrera in the minors too. Um, Kevin, why don't you, uh, start on that one okay. right now? Yeah. Cause basically I think, um, well, first of all, I want to say one thing about the Yankees if I forget it, the bullpen has a lot of injuries and all we had to hear all year was about, the whirly bird or whatever they had call those stupid pitches uh, and this and that and, and all, all the all, all the stories about how they're reinventing pitching. Well, just look at their bullpen, how now, now the latest go down. And I said it about two months ago. I started watching him and he didn't look right to me. Clay Holmes, he's got some shoulder issues where he took a cortisone shot. Uh, uh, so basically they're going to. Between, besides the other injuries they have, and Carpenter is actually taking some. Uh, he'll be taking beat. He'll be taking uh, live batting practice down in Somerset over the week to see where he's at. And uh, uh, so, so he. I'm guessing Carpenter, being a veteran, he'll play through it. He'll he'll get some at bats. Still use him. Probably use him as a pinch hitter. Um, but they still have some time with people. But to me, the Yankee bullpen is a big question mark going into. Uh, you know, and we already know about Chapman. Tired of talking about Chapman over the years, and um, and, yeah. and Efros will be the big guy right now, and uh, that's who they traded for. But 
it's in some ways the Yankees have emulated the race to such a degree that they even have all the bullpen injuries in the arms now. And Britain went down too to speak. He was off the yeah. shelf for, yeah. for a year almost and a couple games and he's out. Well, go ahead. You wanted to jump in. Yeah, you know, uh, just to weigh in on Cabrera, he's been a really nice spark. He has a lot of roster value, and um, he certainly is a good um, insurance policy for them if LeMayu and uh, Carpenter and Ben Attendee can't get back on the field. Um, you know, I mean, he has almost a uh, – a Ben Zobris type quality for a quality team because he can play very competently uh, probably about five or six positions on the field. And he's a switch hitter who um, can hit and do some damage. And he looks like he's starting, you know, he's continued to kind of get his feet on the ground as a young major league player and he's starting to be comfortable there. So yeah, amazingly, he didn't play much outfield, right? Or if any, in the minors? No, so. he, he just started to this year. He was always a middle infielder. Um, he and Peraza were always paired up, and they were both, you know, really good-looking players. They would flip-flop between second base and shortstop. And um, I think Peraza's a little bit more of a true shortstop than Cabrera, but he can certainly play there as well. Well, you know, with these new GMs and what they value and some of the things they don't value, basically – Having that utility player is like Bitcoin for them. They're all over. Yeah. 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 And he's, he's looking real comfortable now, too. I mentioned that and I watched him this weekend. He just he looks like he's got that rhythm and timing down. And Yeah. I can't wait till he gets stronger. He's hitting the ball yeah. hard. Go ahead, Sal. You had something. Well, yeah. I just uh, earlier, someone had mentioned the concept of these bullpens that get burned out. And, you know, Will and Kevin could speak to it better than I. But that is a general conditioning uh, as much as it is. Um, a, a pitching specific issue, you know, how, you know, your overall conditioning level is going to support the level of, of, of your skill. So if these guys are in less shape than they should be, which I think we agree they are, that's going to contribute a lot to the stress, stress placed on these guys down the stretch, both physically and mentally. And I think when you're not in top shape, regardless of the sport, you know, your, your performance is going to suffer. So, you know, I, I, you hear this arm fatigue all the time. You heard some guys go, you know, missing a start late in the year or in general that term is used. In my opinion, you know, the arm is not separate from the rest of your body. If you're fatigued in your arm, that's a systemic issue, not just, oh, my, I'm tired from throwing. You know, there's a basic level of conditioning that if these guys really are maintaining, those things shouldn't happen in my opinion. Sal, those are all great points. And, you know, we talk a lot on our pitching uh, podcast, Mark and I, with the guys that we have on, you know, uh, in the minor leagues, uh, we're not training our starters to go deep in the games. We have 18 and 19 man pitching staffs in the minor leagues. So guys are scripted to throw once or twice a week an inning or two that's not the way they're used in the big leagues. So now they're going and trying to do something that they've never done before, which is, you know, if you're a good reliever, you're on the, you're up almost every day to get the last three or four innings for your team to win a game. And if you're, you know, if you're not a good reliever, 
you're on the you're on the grouping of six, uh, three or four guys down there who hey keep it close and see if we can come back and win, but they haven't done that throughout their whole career, and their whole bodies, like you said, you know we don't see pitchers running anymore. We don't see them conditioning, um, you know. So you know your body's connected, and you know earlier Sal, you were talking about lower extremity. Baseball players are all built from the ground up. It's a misnomer that, that, you know, if you don't have your foundation as a hitter, a pitcher, a fielder, anything you do, a catcher, um, you're not going to perform at your best level. Yeah, exactly. And the, uh, with, with the bullpen, I, I want to mention that the Braves won a World Series last year by with their bullpen. Seems like they've rebuilt that bullpen. They dominated the Mets in that series. And uh, – they, they they seem to know what they're doing there. And the other thing is they play like a team, which you mentioned earlier. They seem to be in shape with Sal. Sal is always uh, making a, a strong point. I mean, that that's a bunch of athletes on that team. And the other thing is they, um, you know, who is your $341 million shortstop? If you came in from Mars over the weekend and, uh, or, or, you know, or, or, or somewhere, you know, maybe somewhere else uh, where you're having a good time and you watch the game and you would say, oh, Swanson is the $341 million shortstop, not, not, uh, not Lindor. So, so the Braves, I think it, it's unbelievable to me that the Braves don't get the credit they deserve from national broadcast units too. Uh, when I watch those games, everybody's like talking like amazed, like the Braves are, you know, could beat sweep the Mets. They're, they're freaking world champions. Right. And, and they've proven that they can step it up and they hit home runs and big that, you know, Matt Olson, when he gets screwed right, he's, he's unstoppable. And, and the Mets were throwing pitches right into his power zone and he took care of it. And Swanson's going to be a free agent. So it's going to be very interesting to see where he winds up. Uh, so, so I think it's, it's, that's what I'm talking about comparing things and, and, and just looking at the difference between teams and series. And there's so much to talk about and they avoid it. They seem like they have a system of play and they develop players. I mean, as soon as, you know, they have the, the kid Riley at third base, they put their time in with him and Swanson at short. Well, then- Garcia, too, shows up with all the injuries they had at second base. And one, one final point, I'll let you guys go. But um, the other thing that got me was also, uh, Riley lets the ball go foul because he has no play on Canna's ground ball. And you would think – that that was the greatest play, thinking play in the history of the game, where I would say 99 out of 100 third basemen would have done that because the ball's angling foul. It's his home ballpark. He knows where it's going to go. And and yet the, they, they, they made it like uh, it was the smartest play ever made because, you know, the, the, the announcers uh, show up from uh, – they show up from Mars sometimes, and they don't know what's going on. So, so my point is – let the players think. The Braves allow their players to think, and I think that's a huge point. And a lot of that is is uh, Ron Washington doing his thing in, with the infielders. So I think the Braves, as much as we compliment them, and they are they are the uh, World Series champions, they they also let their players be teammates, and and they play like a team game. They're way ahead. I think they're way ahead of other teams in that perspective. Not as many nerves on the Braves as what I'm seeing. You know, the uh, a, a very good friend of mine was their farm director during the rebuild uh, that the Braves had that a lot of these guys were developed, and they were taught how to play the game. He came over from Cleveland uh, after a long – he's had a long career. Who's that, Will? What's his name? 
Uh, Dominic Chidi. Okay. Uh, Dominic Dominic uh, was reassigned after the COVID year. He's now with the Angels. He was their bullpen coach the last couple of years, but he was a big part of those players developing how to play the game. You know, and you know the reason why the ESPN crew are amazed when somebody does something that's a smart play is because they don't get to talk about it very often because there's not very many smart plays in the game. Um, but uh, no, you know, I mean, the Braves taught all these kids how to play the game, and it was reinforced by a wisdom-laden major league staff of guys who've been in the game their whole lives. Walt Weiss. Walt Weiss, Wash, um, you know, Snicker, uh, you know, Kevin Seitzer, uh, Rick Kranitz, the pitching coach, uh uh, Sal Fasano. I mean, all these guys have been in the game. They're great baseball guys. So it's it's reinforced over and over and over every day how to play the game the right way. And, you know, Dansby Swanson hasn't been an MLB darling that was, that was uh, marketed, you know, in the same way that Lindor was. So, you know. Lindor uh, Tatis. You know, you know, when you when when you look at what Swanson's doing, his numbers are equally as good, but he's probably maybe not gonna get the same money that 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 that, that he's every bit entitled to if the other guy is as well. Yeah, he's certainly come on this year and his counterpart Ozzy Albies, he arguably their, you know, with Acuna, their best player. He's been out most of the season and the Braves picking. They find a way to keep winning. What do you think yeah. of Michael Harris? Have you watched much of him? He's the rookie outfielder. Uh, he's got a chance to be a really good player. He's, you know, he's a guy who, you know, they developed and got to the big leagues and he was ready for the challenge. And it wasn't thrown on his back when he was called up like Alvarez is getting or whatever. You know, um, you know, he's he's a young guy, but he's he knows how to play. Um and, you know, they got his feet wet by hitting him eighth and ninth early on and said, just go out and play. And he plays the hell out of center field, and he's gotten better and better offensively. And, um, you know, another good player. It's it's allowed Acuna not have to worry about playing center field and made them a deeper, stronger team. He's got a good arm, too. And a lot, that's another thing I'm noticing throughout baseball. Alfie goes can't throw anymore. No, no. Back to our long toss talks with that. What about, you know, we talked about maturity early on with the cell phones with Dion. Acuna had some maturity problems early on in the season. How much is attributed that to the Braves culture, bringing him along? It looks like he's had less and less. Am I right in saying that this year? Yeah, you know, um, you know, you know, guys mature and, um, you know, I think when it's, when it's addressed and not allowed in the clubhouse. And, you know, there were some things early on where, you know, he spoke out that Freddie Freeman was like the, the clubhouse police. Well, we could all use a clubhouse policeman. You know, Deion Sanders is becoming the clubhouse policeman up in, uh, in, in his football program because there's certain things that need to be said for you to be stay focused and ju- do your job the right way. Yeah. Kevin, go ahead. You, wanted, you had something. No, the other the other player I want to mention, it shows you too, and, and, and um, 
you know, Sal, Sal might address this as well, but let's not forget that Travis Darno went through a series of injuries and kind of got his body right. That's what I'm going to see more players do. Um, I remember Travis telling me years ago, because if you remember, he was an unbelievable prospect. I said, what happened in Toronto? And he said, you know what? I was doing the weights and I was, I was, a, I think he was doing a bench press and he, 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 had, too, he had too much weight on it. That's how he hurt his back. And that set him back for years. So what I'm seeing with the Braves is a lot of uh, players who are athletic, but not bulky. So I, th- I, I think we need, I, I can't harp on this too much. Like we need to get back to that. And there, there needs to be, there needs to be, um, uh, a plan for this for all teams because the Braves, I think, do it right for somehow, and uh, other teams don't seem to do that well. Well, they they have a routine with their fielding. I think it's popularized with Ron Washington, but they have a fielding routine, much like people have a tee and a soft toss and a cage routine, and that probably attributes to in, in some capacity to it. Sal, go ahead. I know we, we hit lifting there. I know uh, you got you got something to add regarding that. Well, I just want to say, if you guys have seen the amount of athletes that I've seen just in my small sample size and in some of my colleagues, uh, the amount of athletes that are ruined literally by the, pr- the training programs they're being given by their high-level universities, colleges, uh, and some uh, pro sports teams, you'd be amazed. And that's the noise that goes uh, undetected under the radar or that is background noise to all this other stuff. How many of these guys are doing things that are detrimental to their development um, because of, A, the person they're working with, the the team's uh, philosophy, the team's strength coach, I put in quotes, that, you know, you're just going along and taking these things that, that value that they're getting hurt because of their playing when, when basically um, those conditions are being set up in their training. Uh, and then it manifests itself in the, in their in their playing and practicing. So there, I see. I cannot tell you such a high the the amount, but there's such a high percentage of athletes that I've seen and I know of that get wrecked by their training programs. I think, the, I think the solution here, Sal, is and, and you kind of alluded to it, but isn't it the solution basically do do things that you gain that are involved in the game you're playing. In other well, words. Yeah, yeah, but the problem is now we've gotten these these strength coach jobs that pay a lot of money. And, you know, people think they have to justify their salary by doing this crazy stuff that in the in the big picture hurts. Doesn't even it doesn't even do nothing or be neutral. It actually hurts. So I, by doing the things that Ron Washington does, the infield drills. Yes, of course, of course. That and, makes, and, 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 you that know, makes the, you a better athlete. This, this, these, there's too many people who do what I do who want to take credit for the success of the athletes when really the, the, the I call it athletic development and performance training is there to support the skill work and the technique work that the sport coaches want, uh, are implementing. So my, my job, I look at it, is to prepare the athletes so when they go into their, their practice that they could – achieve and perform the technique that their coaches want them to. Are they, are they using the strength stuff in lieu of the skill stuff? Like thinking the strength stuff is the, you know, the magic formula where they don't have to do the skills much. Yes. Everything, is, you know, they're hammers and everything is a nail. That's the approach. Deadlift, 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 squat. Why, you know, again, why, why there are these videos on the internet of players from teams in a weight room, throwing weights around like they are, 
you know, uh, preparing for a weightlifting competition, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, any, any team executive watching that should, you know, have a heart attack as soon as they see that. Will, go ahead. Yeah, I, you know, um, I've been a little disconnected at the youth level since uh, I was involved when my son was doing it. We were doing a scout team program, but there was, because of the deadlift, there was like an epidemic of back injuries that kids were having. And like you said, Sal, there's all these guys who are millionaires who are deemed you know, brilliant baseball minds to keep players strong and healthy on the field. And they're making money hand over fist and kids are still getting hurt more than they've ever been hurt because they're doing all the things that these people are saying. Exactly. Um, exactly. It's not a good, it's not a good thing. You know, we don't need to build bulky football looking baseball players. We need to build, strong, wiry strength and quick twitch muscles to to move quickly on a baseball field and that we would be so much better off. And you can achieve that by being on the field doing baseball movements plus, you know, supplementing it with the proper um, strength and conditioning and speed, uh, you know, support. Exactly. What's the what's the percentage do you think, Sal, that that should be in terms of skill and supplement? Like well, I mean, the, the time well, if the time spent in the gym, eighty percent of it should be on skill related work, not on just uh, dump. You know, I'm just going to go lift weights. That's just mindless, and it doesn't accomplish anything, and it doesn't prepare the athlete for what they're for for their sport. So, I mean, there are, you could still spend an hour in the gym three times a week, but it's, it's what you're doing. It's kind of too in-depth to go into in this forum, but the, there's definitely work that can be done, but it's not, you know, everything's not picking up weights and lifting weights and, and pushing and pulling and all that stuff. There's so much more to it. You know, <clears throat> it's like thinking all of music is encompassed by what you hear on your pop radio station or your pop, you know, stream. There's so much more to music than what you hear in the mainstream that unless you're exploring it, unless you know, you don't know what's out there. Same thing with this. There's just so many people in the field who don't know what they don't know. Dave, I think uh, Sal just a good promo for his show. So you might want to mention everybody on uh, what day it goes on and he can do a whole breakdown of uh, the proper way to go into a weight room. Yeah, I just wrote it down as the topic for for this week here. But yeah, we, we have Sal's show, which is it's called the hot corner with Coach Sal, and it's, it's it's hot with our listeners right now. It's it's met the the same level as all of our other shows. We're doing a great job on it. We we tape on Fridays, we release on Saturdays, so that people get the whole weekend to listen. So, I think we just may have a topic for this this week that just popped up. Will you want to add? Yeah, uh, just just a funny thing that uh, Charlie Nagy said on Mark and I's thing, and it was around baseball when I played when guys stayed healthy and stayed on the field a lot more. Uh, he talked about somebody doing curls for girls, you know, all the muscles that, you know, you want to show off at the beach aren't muscles that help you become a better baseball player. You know, a bad one too, right? I mean, you, you would know as a pitcher, Sal, I mean, when you tighten up that bicep tendon, that wraps right around that, it goes right up that arm. That's, that's a death to the arm, correct? Of course, of course it is. Any, any, any uh, muscle that's worked in isolation 
um, is going to be less than effective when you need it to perform because no muscle acts, no no muscle produces a movement acting on its own. The muscles all work together. So, and and you know what, uh, Will, to go to your point, I I've always said if you train properly, your body and your physique will develop um, just as well, if not better, than by doing it the bodybuilding way. And again, that's I was going to mention it before, but that's where the the infection of steroids has ruined yeah. more more bodies than the steroids themselves because this, the programs that these guys follow are based on the programs that were being followed by the steroid users. Yeah, so that, the lockdown sounds like the lockdown was worse than the uh, situation. Yeah, that that's yeah. that's the that's still being those ramifications are still being dealt with today. Well, that's, you know, that's why, you know, we were, uh, when we had Alan Yeager on, um, you know, his bands, how they elongate and strengthen all your throwing muscles. That's what you want to do as a pitcher or a baseball player. Uh, guys, guys that swim, you know, that was a big thing for uh, a lot of pitchers got into swimming because it strengthened your shoulders and elongated things. You know, that's... You know, you don't want to be bound up and, and tight where you can't move. And when you do move at a fast twitch, you end up pulling something. So well, I want to throw in there because uh, uh, we'll have him on later later in the year. Um, and like I said, we'll ask him two questions and then sit back. But uh, I talked to Rick Peterson over the weekend, had a good conversation, probably 90 minutes, two hours. and uh, But the biggest thing he said was, Pitchers need to get back to being – he says their job isn't pitching. Your, your job is a professional glove hitter, hitter, right. glove hitter. Right. You need to hit the glove. And that's uh, – that, and we're going to see that very shortly in the playoffs. The, the pitchers who are professional glove hitters – in command. Yep, yeah. Are, are the ones that are going to move on. Rick, Rick had a great saying uh, when he was uh, the organizational pitching director. Um, he told me – and Rick and I are good friends. Um, he told all the kids when they came in, you get your first big check for how hard you get your next big check for where. <laughs> and, uh, and just another thing, after you hung up with Rick, he called me, Kevin. <laughs> but, but it was late, so I didn't answer. Uh, oh, okay. okay. I, I was tired and uh, wasn't going to be able to stay up for the hour and a half, two hours. But He's I got to call him back this week. So. He's got the energy. I like that, though. And Rick Peterson for the audience, he he was the pitching coach for the, the A's when they had that Moneyball movie. <laughs> well, not only that, but he told me that, uh, you know, obviously he was the go-between for Billy Bean. And and Billy, yeah. you know, Billy had a lot of success. And Rick, Rick was instrumental in that, among other people. But he yeah. was also very close to Art Howe, and uh, yeah. he spent a lot of time with Michael Lewis, so Michael Lewis could kind of like delve into how this all works. So Rick, Rick had a lot of influence on that movie and that book. And they did yeah. that. Uh, Mark and I have talked about having him on the pitching, um, you know, on the, our pitching show as well. And you know, he's just a, you know, Rick. Rick has an intellectual curiosity to to just keep diving into things and uh so i've always enjoyed talking to him because i've always learned something and talking with him yeah i uh i didn't work so i'm excited to talk to him so i know you guys passed on the number uh we'll definitely get him on the show and based on how much information and knowledge he has and his, his love for talking like we have i'm 
we could probably do a whole week with them. Just let them be on all yeah. five shows. We've got one more thing, and this may lead into Sal's show later this week, but we had uh, Billy Martin Jr. on uh, Jeff Fry's show a couple weeks back, and he had a um, he talked about a lunch he had with Ted Williams. Ted, Ted always he said when he was at Red Sox, Ted Williams hated hated his father until he got a chance to meet him through Mickey Mantle, and then he found he found out that he loved him. Um, but he said one thing about weights. He goes, "I really wish that there were some of these weights around when I was a player." And it surprised Billy. And he asked him why. And he said, well, none of this stuff these guys are doing now. He goes, I wish I had some stuff that I could hammer my forearms. If I could have improved my forearms, I could have stopped my swing on the dime. And I kind of want to throw that out. How important are the forearms in terms of development? And is that a a muscle we can isolate? Well, I I would never operate or, I'm sorry, train anything in isolation because that's not how we operate. But, you know, there are – it goes back to the point I brought up, I believe, about the the Russian track coach who found that the – the best correlation to performance was using an implement slightly above and slightly below the competition weight. So my, my sense would be the best way to, to train your forearms and, and the, the, the muscles that work together to produce the swing would be, you know, I love the sledgehammer and I have this five pound mace that you can swing at a target like you would swing at a bat. And that would be a great way to develop your forearms in a manner that's going to allow you to be at the same similar speed to swinging the bat uh, while handling an implement both a little heavier and a little lighter than your regular bat. So I, I would include that kind of work, not anything in the weight room. I actually used to do that. I used to take batting practice with my bat, then I'd use one an ounce heavier, then one an ounce lighter, then go back to my bat. Um, but go ahead, Will or Kevin, go ahead. You guys have yeah, something. I, I was just going to say, you know, I always go back to – smart people that I played for and um, the era that I played and coached in. And at that time, you know, it was strength from your fingertips to your elbows and having a a foundation by keeping your legs and uh, body and core strong were the only thing that players worried about. And they stayed healthy uh, and stayed on the field by doing doing all those things. And, you know, you know, I had heard people like Ted Williams say, you know, you know, your strength in your hands and your forearms and your wrists, how important that was to be a good hitter. And That's what I ever read on hitting. I, I hope kids go out and get that one and learn, learn a little bit about Ted Williams. And his yeah. abilities. So Kevin, go ahead. You wrap us up here. Yeah. Two things. Uh, I just read a great book and I don't have it in front of me, but I'll have it for the next show. Uh, it was about Ted Williams in World War II and basically how all these, these, uh, all these, and back then, don't forget, uh, the major league players, some of them actually went to war or trained for war. It wasn't just a, a PR thing. Uh, but they all were sent down to, uh, North Carolina and, uh, it was, uh, they, this is an amazing, and Sal should read this book because it's amazing because they got the best coaches together. And they came up with a plan how to how to condition their pilots, and of course Williams was right in the middle of that. And he 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 took it on like you wouldn't believe. He was the first one up in the morning. He worked his tail off. He was the best conditioned athlete. And they wanted to condition them because they learned that they're going to be shot down behind enemy lines. They're going to have to have survival skills. So they taught him survival skills. So this is forgotten in Ted Williams's career, but. In World War II, he actually 
by all this training, he actually became a much better athlete. So I think he doesn't get credit for the athlete that he really was and, and the things that he knew. And uh, it all goes back to basic fundamental training. So, uh, again, I'll get the name of that book, and it'll be a fascinating read. And Because um, uh, it was a whole litany. Of, of course, Johnny Pesky was with him. And uh, it, it's just fasc- a fascinating read. And the last thing I want to say is I'm going to switch up here a little bit. I want to mention that I've uh, I've kind of changed my coffee habits, and I think this is very important for me. Uh, I've, I've gone to the old-fashioned percolator coffee cup, Farberware, and um, I, I make myself a, a pot of coffee with the percolating going on in the morning instead of the Kerrig, instead of the uh, Mr. Coffee. Wow, a whole new world with coffee. I saw that on Twitter. Which, what's your coffee of choice, by the way? Well, I just went simple this time around because I was experimenting, but I think I'm going to stay with it. Maxwell House, of course. Teddy Roosevelt said uh, he came up with the saying when he was at their hotel and said, wow, this coffee is good to the last drop. And um, and it was good enough for Teddy Roosevelt. It's good, good enough for me. And it's also been roasted in the USA since uh, 1892. So I love that a little plug there. Nice. Nice. Good to the last drop. That's right. I love it. Sal, you, you can top that one. Just well, no, I wanted to you know Kevin's point about the military. It used to be the military set the tone uh, for how the rest of the country trained all the way down through our school system and it's been totally diminished by the pc movement and uh and it's also become a reflection of our society our overall fitness level is so terrible they've had to dumb down all the fitness requirements in all the armed forces so it's just a it's a poor reflection on how things have been going here but that's a sad another sad truth um, that we have to face. Well, that's a great point, Sal, and, and that's that comes through in the book too. Because again, they weren't just doing this haphazardly; they brought in the best coaches and, and everything from Bear Bryant or whatever. And this is before Bear Bryant was really widely known. And uh, but they brought in the best coaches to come up with a plan. So this this plan was absolutely incredible. And you know what? They challenged people. Yeah. And like you said, it's been dumbed down now. And you know, uh, I, I don't want to get into it, but, uh, you know, I, I'd like to see us get back a little bit more into that kind of training. Yeah, and that brings us kind of full circle. We talked about Dion holding his players accountable. and um, yeah, Put your phones down, and if you're coaching a your team, don't let the get, – get a box. Make the kids put their phones in a box before the game and before the practice, and, uh, and, and, and they can pick it up or, or leave them with their mom. So when their mom picks up, like uh, – when their mom goes to buy them a milkshake after the practice, uh, they can give them their phone back. Yeah, I wish they got a closer shot of the, the, the players because I don't know that – it's almost like they didn't get that they didn't get it. Um, I would just hope he keeps hammering away and doesn't change because we need more we – need, we need guys to – and I hate to say it this way, but you have to run towards trouble. You can't walk away from it. They've got to, they've got to be confrontational. Their job as a leader is to set the bar and don't let the bar drop. And to me, that's simple. Get their concentration level back up. Football is, is a collision sport, and we've seen lately you can get seriously hurt um, without even trying. So um, I hope Dion keeps pushing with that stuff. Well, guys, great, great episode, episode 54, uh, Coaching Kernan Podcast Network. This is our panel of resident experts. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with our real voices of the game with Mike Berger. Uh, guys, great job today. I look forward to our next show. Thanks, Dave. See you guys. Thank <laughs> you.
Peace.